I'm teaching foundational truth on Sunday mornings, and uh, what I'm teaching on is for your equipping. And I am reminded of something that Maria Billings said to me last week. Maria and John, um, ardent, committed members, ORU graduates, they came here, they built their family here. Due to a job shift, John took a job in Kansas City and then into Tulsa, and then he's now back in Kansas City, but they come here, they've got grandchildren and children here, and they've, you know, they feel like this is church home, and, and Maria had a word from the Lord back in the ni- late 90s about preparation and about babies being birthed into the kingdom, and, and we were responsible here for it, and she said, it's happening again. So what do you mean? She said, I had the same word. I'm watching the same thing take place. They were here last Sunday. They heard me teach the doctrine, the foundational doctrine of salvation. And she said, this is, in fact, what was happening in 99 when we went to Kosovo and then the football team came in and we had that surge, that full court press of soul winning where uh, gospel tracts, six million tracts were printed up and the gospel was spread in such an amazing way. So it's happening again. The Lord of the Harvest has watched uh, the whole uh, pandemic thing. He's watched shutdowns. He's watched the hostility, the stirrings of strife in culture. And he's watched all these things because why? The devil is the small g God of this world. He is uh, temporarily the God of this world. And the whole world lies in the power of the wicked one. And so um, we have a responsibility to stand and exert our authority in the name of Jesus and pray vigorously. And and also, we are called to carry the the light and believe God for people to come into the kingdom through the words we speak to them. Why? why? Because in 2 Corinthians, let's look at this up on the screen. Chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation or a new creature. The old things pass away, and behold, new things have come. Everybody say, out with the old, in with the new. Now, when you get saved, your physical body doesn't change. Your hair is still parted the same way. Your eyes are still the same color. You know, your mind needs to be renewed. Your brain doesn't particularly change. But there is a striking, immediate change spiritually That if you're in Christ, you become a brand new creation. It's instantaneous. It's not on the basis of our works or the deeds we've done in righteousness, but it's according to his mercy. We're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not according to works. Otherwise, we'd be able to boast about it. And so it's a gift that must be received. John chapter 1, verse 12 says that, As many as received him, to them he gives the right or the power to become the children of God. Say, I'm a child of God. Um, I say that to my wife when I act like a big baby. The other day I was in a conference. I was in a conference in uh, another state, and there were some chairs empty, and I I wanted to go sit there. And um, one of the uh, ushers said, that's that's for children. And uh, she kind of scolded me. She was cool, but she scolded me a little bit. So I wanted to lighten it up with some humor. So I said, what if I behave like a child? And that threw her. She didn't let me sit. There were strollers, and it was all for, we stayed in the baby section. We didn't go to the pastor section. We stayed, you know, and it was more, it felt more like St. Louis Family Church to me, actually. 
It was like loud, and but I wasn't distracted. It's like I, the baby sounds made it me even more enjoyable for us. We enjoyed it. And that lady laughed and then uh, still told me to get away from those seats, you know, go sit somewhere else. But we're children of God. And as such, he's our father. And we're to imitate him as beloved children and walk in love. There's never been a better time for us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and actually figure out how to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's in short supply. Things have become harsh. Things have become the tonality. If you see society, it's become uh, divisive or divisive. It's become clashy. Uh, But it ought not be so amongst God's people. Uh, The Lord Jesus wants us to understand That love is the perfect bond of unity. It's the great unifier. When we love God and we rally around him and he's our priority, our relationship with him really matters to us. How many of you, your relationship with God matters to you? How many of you know you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? So I'm already preaching stuff you already know. But also we have fellowship with the Father, with the Son, Jesus. And fellowship uh, is in addition to relationship. Now, I had a relationship with my mother, but we did not have good fellowship because there was a constant clash. It's unfortunate. I wish it wasn't that way. It just was that way through my whole life. So the fellowship wasn't really good. We had a relationship, and in the end, all is well that ends well. She got saved. She asked me to lead her to the Lord. I prayed with her. She asked Jesus in her heart. She got saved. Hallelujah. What's not to like about that? It's good news. And heaven will be heaven because she and I will have Jesus there together and there will be no conflict. But see, what I want to teach you today is stirring you up by way of reminder because later on in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 18, after it says we're a new creation, the old things pass away, new things come. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And look at this gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Hey, listen, the doctrine of salvation is a big deal because uh, we are reconciled to God. You see, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and humanity, individually and collectively, as a collective, is in peril of eternal, because we're all eternal, but we could have eternal existence away from God or eternal fellowship with God. It's all based on the hinge point of what Jesus did on Calvary in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. When he suffered and died, it was for the sins of humanity. God did something so fantastic through his son to redeem us from the pit. No other world religion could do this for us. Jesus came to give us a new birth, an extraordinary opportunity. We who were alienated and separated, we're going to look at this in Ephesians 2 for a few minutes. I realize I've just got a little moment of time. We've already had an outstanding service. God's present in here. God's already moving. Just that you showed up is pleasing to the Lord. You've made yourself a living sacrifice. You presented yourself to the Lord today. And here you are. And I believe by the time we're finished in the next few minutes, things will be downloaded in your heart. Things will engage and connect with you in your thought life. And while I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit, who is in fact your teacher, is going to be speaking things to you that you're going to be able to unpack and act on two or three days from now, maybe even tomorrow, maybe even this afternoon, like Lori, who went to the neighbor and was able to lead the whole household to the Lord. God wants to do some amazing things in us. He's given us redemption, and then he's given us the word of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, 
God and sinners reconciled, the old hymn says. The, the, the dividing wall is broken down. And God reaches out with his everlasting arms to pull us out of the pit. I was pulled out of a swimming pool by a teenager when I was drowning. I was pulled out of the open sea when I was lost in New Zealand by a, by a, a group that pulled me back onto the boat. I have been rescued. We were pulled out of a boat that was crashed at Catalina Island. I have so many testimonies at this point. We were pulled out of the dilemma of the flood of 93. Pastors are being pulled out right now of all the conflict that's trying to dump on their brains right now in this, tra in this transitional time, in this pandemic, where things have been shut down and where people are trying to figure out what to do and all these kinds of variables. God knows exactly what to do. The Lord of the harvest has a perfect plan right now. We know what to do. Our eyes are on him and his purposes. His word is true. We fall in love with the Bible. We see to it that no one deceives us. All these voices, we pay attention to the master's voice. We don't follow the voice of a stranger. We're going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We're going to be loyal to him. And then look what it says in verse 19. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says this. It says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Aren't you glad that Jesus looks at us and goes, what sin? It's, uh, it's covered. I forgive you. Your debt is paid. And he has, look at this, committed to us the word of reconciliation. That doesn't mean we're to be obnoxious and pound people over the head and browbeat them with religiosity. It just means there's something substantial on the inside, embedded on the inside of our, our lives, our mindsets, our consciousness, of an awareness of a rescuer. Hey, let me tell you about my Jesus. Jesus saved my life almost 50 years ago, 1972, from darkness. Jesus penetrated my empty life with hope and help. And I'll tell you, he used people like you to lead me into a situation like this. So here I am all these years later, uh, rousing you to understand and recognize your position. You were once alienated and separated, but now you've been brought near. You who were once not a people are now the people of God. There's a great unifier who God loved the world so much that he gave the best he had, that whoever would receive him, trust him, and believe in him would have a, a new kind of life, abundant life. The Bible says in John 10, 10, uh, the life like that heaven itself enjoys. We could actually have days of heaven on earth. And, and you know, the Bible guarantees that, that, that we're going to have challenges he said, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that tries you. It, it, and, and Mrs. C. Newsom, who wrote a book called The Life of Faith back in the 1920s, she said in the chapter on strength, the last paragraph, she said, it hurts. E.W. Kenyon said that it's the fight of life. He called life the fight of life. So let's be honest about it. It's not easy. But nothing that is good is easy. God has a plan for us, but we're engaged in fighting the good fight of faith, aren't we? We stagger not against the promises of God. We stagger not, but we, in, in everything we stand. We believe God is able to raise the dead and call into being that which does not exist. We know him to be the Lord of the harvest, according to John chapter 4. And we're actually admonished to pray that the Lord would activate and deploy laborers into the harvest field. The other day, Pastor Virgil told me about a situation with his grandson, Henry. 
and his, uh, Henry's mom, Angie, and dad, Chris. And the doctor said, would you mind if I prayed before the surgery? And she said, well, okay. And he prayed. She said, Dad, he prayed just like us to the Father in the name of Jesus and prayed coverage. And so I was so comforted by it. So some doctor out there that had that gift and has went through so much education and formal training and is out there but is carrying the culture of the kingdom. Aren't you glad people carry the culture of the kingdom? And I remember I went to a restaurant in the East Coast in Boston, Massachusetts, of all places. It's not really that known for a lot of evangelical type of thought. And in the restaurant we were told was the best uh, of its kind, a seafood restaurant overlooking the water, visiting one of our kids in school there. And uh, I remember at the cash register and in the bathroom, there was a little stack of papers and it was Chuck Swindoll talking about attitude. And I thought, man, the owner and the culture of that restaurant realized they had the Ministry of Reconciliation. And they had this moment where they're known for being one of the best restaurants of their kind, but they didn't downplay the reality of who they are in Jesus and what they could do in Jesus. There is a couple here, they work in real estate. And they, uh, they constantly carry the culture of the kingdom into their endeavors and their work with others. It's amazing what the Lord will do in this place. It's amazing what God will do in this time. And given that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation, I reckon we ought to understand it, come to terms with it, pray concerning it, be available about it, because we're to lift up our eyes and see that the fields are white to harvest. There are people like me, young Jeff Perry, 16 years old, that was so dead and lost in sin. In, in the culture of a suburban, upper-middle-class life with a hard-working dad, an extremely dysfunctional mom, trying to go through school, living in a neighborhood, riding a stingray bike, but yet empty and dead in sin and lost. The drug culture's taken off, so much freedom and so much liberty and taking that liberty to a wrong place, and yet having an undeniable, vacuous emptiness. God, I prayed, if you're real, show me. I think there are hell's angels that are praying that prayer. I think there are executives praying that prayer. I think there are school teachers praying that prayer. I think there are teenagers that are saying, God, if you're real, show me. Hey, isn't St. Louis, isn't Missouri the show me state? Stubborn. I'll believe it when I come to terms with it, right? I like the matter-of-factness of the heartland. I really do. I love being transplanted into the heartland. And in fact, one of these great people, the leader of our Bible school, prophesied concerning this city and concerning this church about the things God had planned for this place. And actually, God staged a lot of it in the late 90s, but yet none of it really has fully matured. It's coming in perfect increment. And so now we have to see and continue in these 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles open, let's look at verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. How about Pastor Virgil's grandson uh, sitting in that situation, needing a little treatment, and uh, the doctor coming in and saying, hey, would you mind if I pray? Oh, I love that. I love that. Going to a restaurant and finding Chuck Swindoll's message on attitude not one, but two places in the restaurant thinking, wow, you're so brave out here on the East Coast. You're willing to lift up Jesus in a culture that has kind of disparaged that. And how about Jesus moving on my life as a teenager 
and sending a Vietnam vet to tell me about how Jesus changed his life while I was hitchhiking home from my restaurant job, having a girl, Jill Cosby, come and knock on my garage door after she knocked on the front door. She knocked on the garage door, and I was in there making silver jewelry from my art class, and uh, I opened up the door. There she is, you know, social friend, not, you know, just friendship. Hey, what are you doing Wednesday night? Uh, I'm going to church. You want to come with me? I went, yeah. And I went for a month, and I analyzed. I was I, like kind of in the back row, and I saw people lifting their hands. I watched them. I remember I, my first impression when I got out of the door and I walked toward the church. People were hugging each other, and it was healthy. Nobody was loaded. Everybody's eyes were clear. People were sweet. And I watched it, and it was something, it was like a culture clash. I had never, I had never experienced this before. I thought, what is this? It was the kingdom of God. It was, it was the church of the Lord Jesus. It was a body of believers that had been uh, made new creations. In a moment, they had gotten born again. They were saved, and there was salvation in their lives, and, and there were people from all these different walks of life, some my parents' age, some younger than me or my age, some married, freshly young married people, some old hippies, people with a drug past. There's one guy that was an Eagle Boy Scout who came from a good home, and his testimony was, I got saved from a really quality life, no strife with my parents, I got straight A's, I was an Eagle Boy Scout. He said, I have a great testimony. I got saved from being a good person. I got saved on relying on my own works. Maybe my testimony may even be better than your testimonies. You know, and they went, well, I don't know, because we're having dueling testimonies at the time. (laughs) The music seemed different. There was life in it. And I now, as I look now, I read in Psalm 22, God inhabits the praises of Israel, or he inhabits the praises of his people, or where two or more are gathered in in their midst, there, there he is with us. He's with us. And that's what I sensed. These were Jesus people that hadn't drunk Kool-Aid. They weren't handling snakes. They weren't hallucinating on some sort of wild carnival manifestations. Nobody was doing crazy attention-seeking. Everybody was just harmonious. It was healthy. The pastor was solid. When he opened up the Bible to preach, I had heard these stories when I visited churches, but this really made sense. It it was preached with conviction and thoughtfulness. They meant it. It was sincere. I could tell. And I went again and again. Jill picked me up for every week for a month. Every week. So here I had this initial contact with a Christian who told me about Jesus changing his life after Vietnam. And he gave me something to read, a gospel tract, which I read, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart in the privacy of my subdivision house bedroom of my parents' house, I knelt down on top of my bed. I didn't even know you're supposed to kneel by the bed. I knelt on top of the bed. I didn't, I wasn't very skilled at it. And I asked Jesus in my heart, and something did happen. My friend Tony asked me, I said, Tony, I gave my heart to Jesus last night. He said, what? You know, and he, he, he became hungry and interested in it. But God didn't want it just to be a private moment. He wanted me to get in church and see the body of Christ function, and see a godly pastor preach the word of God, organize notes around the soundness of the gospel, not a cultic bunch of stuff, not some fringe stuff, not some sort of communal takeoff or some rebel thing. It was, it was, he, he was submitted to the pastor that started something 
Ralph Wilkerson over at Melody Land. At the same time, God was moving on Pastor Jack Hayford and also a man named Pastor Chuck Smith from Calvary. In fact, they were all contemporaries. And Dick Mills, they were contemporaries of one another in Bible college. And God was calling these guys, calling these guys and their wives. One time they put in new carpet in the, and, and they had new pews in the church in Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. And hippies were coming in with rivets on their jeans and bare feet. And one of the elders got upset and told the pastor, man, these kids are coming in with dirty feet and they're sitting on these our brand new lacquered pews and they're scratching them with the rivets on their blue jeans. And, and the pastor said, don't worry, it'll, be, it'll all be worked out by next week. So next week came and the, the elder came in and the hippies came in and the people in the church came in in this moment and the pastor had torn all the carpet out of the building that week so that the hippies could come in with their bare feet. And this building is a beautiful housing for what the Lord's about to do. And I, I drove my bike all around the circumference of the property, and I'm dreaming about the next buildings to build and where to store things and what's happening in these end times and about school for children and all the things that are God stretching us on in, in this season of our lives. And uh, when, you, when you endeavor to obey the Lord, he, he spreads your life out through the long haul. And it says in Ecclesiastes that the end of a matter is better than the beginning. We've had some amazing beginnings. I'm telling you, God took care of us and as newlyweds when we had our first baby. He took care of us through Bible school and we didn't have any support. We never sent out a mailing list or a newsletter. We, we never tried to partner with people. God supernaturally covered it. He supplied. He always does it. He only does wondrous things. And God had a plan. When I was a kid, when I got saved... My football coach, was, he was a former uh, Los Angeles Ram. He was gigantic. And uh, he was one of the linemen. He was one of these giant men, big neck bigger than his head, big strong arms. And uh, I, little knowing that I would end up being a chaplain and speaking at the Rams park and leading these guys into in the infilling of the Holy Spirit and salvation. God knew when Roman Gabriel was the quarterback, and I was a little teenager, that eventually it would come around and they would come to St. Louis for a period of time, and God wanted to stage a manifestation of a, of a quality of evangelism. While they were winning in the greatest show on turf, God was doing something spiritually, which I, in my opinion, see and hold in higher regard than all the anything else because it had to do with eternal issues. That's my value system. Things, some things are more important than other things. Now let's look at the remainder. Let's look at uh, verse 21 of, of this chapter, and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Look what it says here. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You guys, meditate on this verse. Make it your own. Personalize it. Embrace it. Let it be burnished into your very heart. Let it help you to understand that salvation is available and you can know the truth and that truth can set you free. And you can be on that solid footing. Instead of wondering if you're saved, you have that no-so security that Jesus has called me out of darkness into this marvelous light. He's washed me white as snow. Though my sins were as scarlet, he's made me white as snow. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. 
Go to Ephesians 2, and while you're turning there, I want to tell you, Philemon 6 and the King James says that I pray that the communication or the fellowship or the living out of your faith may become effectual, effective, inspiring, profitable, fruitful by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ. Man, when you get up in the morning and say, I am a new creation, I am a blood-bought citizen of heaven, Jesus transferred me out of darkness and put me into the kingdom of God's dear son. The angels of the Lord encamp around me. God hears and answers my prayer. When I pray, mountains move. God has his hand on my life. He has given me spiritual authority to bind and loose. When I pray, I believe I receive. God answers my prayer. God hears from heaven. God has put a blessing on my life. He is a promise-keeping God. In fact, I'm going to call the musicians up. We're going to sing that promise. All your promises are yes and amen. So let's get ready to go into Ephesians chapter 2. Here are my notes. This will keep me disciplined if I just take these with me, all right? Here are my notes. Oh, there's some on the back too. <laughs> Ephesians 2.12. It says in the King James that at that time, this is the before and after. My wife and I talked about this yesterday. That if I'm going to talk about this salvation, the doctrine of salvation, we've got to identify the, the change that's occurred. That we were lost and now we're found. We were blind and now we see. We were going to hell, now we're going to heaven. Our citizenship was, we are, the devil was the god of this world and we were under the power of the evil one. And now we've been transferred out of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his dear son. We still deal with challenges and trials, but with great equipping. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ. We're new creations in Christ. Do you understand this? We're different than we used to be. We're different than we used to be. We're new creatures. Here's what it says before Christ, that you at that time were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now look at the transition, verse 13. But now, everybody say, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. The New American Standard says, you who were formerly far off have been brought near. Weymouth said, you were so far away. Remember the Carol King song, so far away. We were so far away. I was so off track. I was lost, alienated, and separated. I had no hope. I was without God in the world. When I saw the anti-war demonstrations, I saw the racial clashes, I saw the drug addiction, I saw the rock stars die, drop dead at 27 over and over again from substance abuse. I saw the conflict in my own subdivision home and my family. I saw the conflict in my own personhood and the sinfulness of my own life. Yeah, I was without hope, without God, but God had ambassadors out there. God had these elegant people that were praying prayers and believing God. God had people that were seeing church as more than an institutionalized mechanism of religious formalism. They saw it's a life-giving body of believers. And I got immersed in that and I sensed the reality of it. This is what I'm believing God for in this house. That this is an entry-level environment for lost souls to find their way to Jesus. And you can be a Christian for 60 years serving God and have a PhD in theology 
and, and find great resource here and great feeding here. A baby in Christ can grow up in this place. A middle-aged person in Christ can stay tethered to the gospel. And an elder can walk it out and see the plan of God come away all the way to the end of their last breath. That's the God I serve. So he says, now in Christ, you who sometimes were far off have been made nigh or have been brought near. Uh, J.B. Phillips says, you and I, we were outside the pale. We were outside looking in. And then yet upon invitation, we came in. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, we've become partakers of the divine nature. Listen, here's what happens as we close. The promise keeper said, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take the stony heart out of you, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to make you, I'm going to put a new spirit in you. Jesus even said, God's going to pour out the Holy Spirit on all flesh. Isn't that great? People in here are hungry for the things of God. And God's going to present it in such a balanced way because God is our Father. He's not flaky. God is not goofy. God is not uh, buried in mysticism. God cracks the code for us, and he shows us how we can be supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are to be desired. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is to be developed in our lives. And God has called us to walk in the Spirit. Now, I pray God opens doors for us. I've been praying for my neighbors. I love my neighbors. And God just opened up a door for me. I prayed, 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 and then God opened up a door. It's just perfect timing. God just coincided a moment with me with a neighbor. I love it. God is, this Lori, she talked to this neighbor. She went in the house. Somebody's battling in the last stages of cancer. And God opened a door for her to pray and bring the gospel to the whole household. Hallelujah. What am I saying? What Maria Billings prophesied in 1999 is coming to pass again. She even said last week, she was in the third service. And I bolted out the back. She said, well, I guess I can't share this with Pastor Jeff. He just took off. And then I bounced back in like a gazelle, and they were sitting over there. And I came over, and I pulled a chair up and said, hey, guys. And she said, well, I guess I can give you this word. And so she gave me that word. It was like, wow. Yeah, I remember when she took the microphone, and she prophesied it to the church. You could have heard a pin drop. When things are really prophetic, it, you look at it like, huh? I have no point of reference on this. It's like I called the church to flood cleanup with no possibility that the levee was going to breach and we were going to have water in our own valley. I thought we were going to go to St. Genevieve or St. Charles. And, I, and, and yet God knew that our own backyard would need to be uh, cleaned up. God knows more about the future than we do about the past. And I am telling you there is something that we're coming into right now that makes sense of all this foundational teaching. I taught about the importance of the Bible. Man, fall in love with your Bible. Get a good Bible. Get a paper Bible. We use the electronic screen, and that's good. But you can't underline on that. Uh, but if you get a good Bible and you tear into it, read the Psalms, read Proverbs, read the Gospels, read the Epistles, then this, these things will become your own. And the Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And we're to always give thanks, always live in expectancy, always trust in God for the next steps. Let's all stand up on our feet. I want the musicians to sing the chorus of this song. And I want you guys to finish with this. I'm start, I'm ending pretty good. It's 1146. Can you sing this song one time through? If you're not saved, ask Jesus into your heart today.